I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Twig 115. We've got the full crew, myself, Joe Kim, Mishka Katkoff, Adam Telfer, and Eric Grumpy Cress. Gonna be- yeah, I'm, not, I'm not grumpy yet. Don't make me grumpy. <laughs> and today we're gonna be talking about four news topics. First, Roblox, 520 million funding and $29.5 billion valuation. Second, what the hell is going on with Cyberpunk? And third, Diablo Immortals, more than a meme. And finally, puzzle games becoming the top grossing genre on mobile. But before we dive in, do you want to start with you, Adam, with updates? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've got four quick ones. First one is that IronSource acquired the ad measurement firm Sumla. Um, so I'm just going to base this off of Josh Chanley, who mentioned in our Slack chat um, some insight here, just because I don't have full context here. Um, but just mentioned that there's really great synergy between Sumla and IronSource and allows them to compete with AppLovin's purchase of Safe SDK or Safe DK, uh, which is now Max's ad review feature. Um, so I don't have full context here. I don't know. Do you guys have any other insights on, on this acquisition? I just fell asleep. You started talking advertising. So <laughs> next. <laughs> uh, Minecraft Earth is going dark at the end of June. Um, if you remember this, this is Minecraft's Pokemon Go game built internally at Microsoft. Uh, we talked about it, I think, in a podcast a, a while a while back. But before COVID, it was already pretty much dead on the mine. It had pennies RPI, but I think COVID really was the last straw for this one. Dude, remember that one had absolutely no monetization me method, right? It was like, yeah. it was so poorly, the idea was so bad that- it was, like, it was like a cosmetic thing where you could buy bricks to customize the things you set up in the world. Yeah. Just, just unbelievable. Um, okay, so Call of Duty, Black Ops, Cold Wars, integration with Warzone. Um, overall, there's been some coverage there about it getting messy. Um, I think 
reading through the the details here, Warzone has been slipping on Twitch. You can look at the the numbers, even though I think they just launched Rebirth Island, and I think they got a spike out of that. But regardless, Rust and Tarkov have been spiking much higher, um, especially due to Tarkov's Twitch drop, Fueled Surge. And I think the main reason why Warzone has been slipping, in my limited perspective, is due to their meta. They introduced a whole bunch of weapons from Treyarch's Cold War game, but unfortunately, about three of them specifically ended up being pretty overpowered, which really sucks in a battle royale game. Um, overall, it's unfortunate, but I think the bigger picture is Warzone will recover and will do just fine. Um, and even though COD War, Cold War is actually down overall, all signs are pointing that Warzone is going to continue to grow through 2021. And I think with Infinity Ward back at the helm for COD 2021's release, this year will be a big year for Warzone. No, they're not. You know, that's not right, dude. <laughs> oh, what, what did they're I not wrong? responsible for the year this year. I think they're. Oh, they're okay. Sorry, hod- I got that wrong. Yeah, they're doing a hodgepodge of teams. Like I think Sledgehammer is taking charge this year, which is like what one quarter of a team, and then they'll get Raven. It's not going to be a good year for COD this year. Ah, so I thought that after Sledgehammer um, pulled back, then they would switch back to Infinity Ward and do two years. You're saying they're still sticking with three? That is my understanding. Okay. Well, then this will be a terrible year for COD, but a great year for Warzone. <laughs> uh, 2020 Super Data Report. Um, I'm ignoring kind of the VR and XR reports here, but roughly 58% of the market is mobile, um, according to their latest trends there. And roughly they um, projected 55% of U.S. residents played video games as a result of COVID. This is a survey, so I'm not sure how much you can take away from this. And it was from April 2020. Um, The top five titles that they're reporting, Honor of Kings, PUBG Mobile, Peacemaker, Elite, Roblox, uh, Garena Free Fire, and Pokemon Go. And Warzone COD um, would pretty much be tied for number five there at 1.9 billion. And it's definitely the number one premium game. Um, And Fortnite is no longer within the top 10. Uh, Joe? All right, so just one update from me. As many of you may have heard, there's a lot of big changes coming up with respect to mobile marketing, especially on the iOS side with IDFA. A lot of stuff rumored to be happening in March, but actually some stuff rumored to actually start hitting potentially even January 15th. And this is something that's not just going to impact marketers, but PMs and exec need to know this stuff. So Sign up for the Future of UA mobile marketing conference this Thursday at 10 a.m. Go to futureofua.splashthat.com. That's it for me. Mishka. I was laughing, but honestly, like the the only webinars that I that I listened that I've attended, like apart from from the uh, the Horowitz one, have been actually JK yours, and they were good. They were just Thank so you. late in the day that I had to I had to jump out, but they were they like your webinars are honestly good. So, so can we so, move on with self serving stuff? <laughs> this is not self serving. I'm, I'm just like because <laughs> I was just laughing, but anyway. So um, if you want a unique a perspective on the market and and cover the video game <laughs> names with professionally and get the right short and long calls, please call me at Gossamer Consulting. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, so so I, I don't know. I, I have to say hats off to JK. He's been doing a lot of stuff. And um, I do have to say that I, I need to jump on this JK train because I've been extremely busy with the predictions. So now the predictions are coming out. So all the free time has been going into just getting lost in the Excel and then sounding remotely smart in the podcast where I can 
reference to certain games and the percentages, how much they grew, how much they declined. So I think I need to take a page out of JK's book and just stop eating for a while, save a little bit of time, and then start doing coffee animas just to keep myself going. All facts that JK is doing if he follows Instagram. So, so um, yeah. Overall, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of like taking my coffee from the top, so I'll just, I kind of <laughs> continue. Wow, with can that. we get to news already? I mean, Jesus, let's go! All right, so first news item: Roblox, five hundred twenty million funding and twenty nine point five billion dollar valuation. So, after delaying their IPO, Pulse two is reporting that Roblox has raised that five hundred twenty million. And with this crazy valuation near $30 billion. Further, the company announced that it will go public via a direct listing rather than the traditional IPO process. And the date of the direct listing has not yet been announced. The private financing round was its Series H and was led by Altimeter Capital and Dragoneer Investment Group. So my take on this is that when we talked about biggest winners and losers of 2020, all of us, last week, I mean, uh, all of us failed to mention Roblox, but guys, this was a huge miss by us. I remember when we covered the Andreessen Horowitz $150 million investment at a $4 billion valuation. That was actually less than a year ago. I, I believe it was last, last year's February. So we're literally talking $26 billion of market <laughs> cap in one year, which is freaking insane, right? And so just to also go into a bit of nerd talk with respect to direct listing, uh, the big differences to note is that in a direct listing, so no new shares are created and instead existing shares are sold with no underwriters to the public. So this means that from an employee perspective, there shouldn't be any form of employee lockup period. So in a traditional IPO process, you have what's known as an underwriter. So a firm will actually buy a block of new shares from the company, and they'll guarantee that the sale of those shares will happen. So they are underwriting the risk of those shares. Anyway, congrats to Roblox. Huge win for the games industry. And I'm really glad to see them shaking up the traditional IPO process as well. What do you guys think? I, you know, this is going to be the biggest... IPO in gaming history, I think, right? I mean, this is massive, right? So they probably will end up by the end of the week or so up to like 40 to $50 billion in terms of valuation. So huge. And as you said, like every insider can sell. And um, uh, my unofficial recommendation is probably sell <laughs> within a few weeks, but that's just me. But um, because I think at the end of the day, like even though I absolutely adore Roblox and I would have gone to work for Roblox, and that's probably the only company I would actually ever gone work for uh, and not do what I do. Uh, this does not give them a lot of wiggle room for mistakes and these valuations are getting absolutely insane. Um, so, you know, I think they have a huge year for 21. I think their demographics, um, uh, sorry, they will, in order to hit their longer term revenue goals, they have to improve their demographics as well as uh, improve uh, geography. So expand in other geographies. So I think there's a lot of room for them to grow. But this year was, uh, 2020 was just an amazing year for them. Um, but overall, I'm not going to give you my thesis on, on Roblox, but I will just say that um, I am a big fan of the company. Um, I just think with, with being public, create some scrutiny on, on their business practices and how they monetize, that could be a challenge for them. Um, and growth outside of you know their core demographic and geographies is the other challenge. So I'll kind of leave it at that. 
but uh, this is good, great news for me and great news for the video game industry. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I couldn't be happier for my friends that are there. that are going to finally cash out and get some some a decent payday. Um, and uh, this is to the future, to uh, the next metaverse, right? Anybody else? Adam? Nothing. Oh my gosh. All right. Fucking Robux. All right. Moving on. So what the hell is going on with Ro- with Cyberpunk? Okay. I know most of you guys are going to say, oh, Jesus, here we go. Let's more talk about Cyberpunk. Who gives a hell? You know, there's so much coverage. It's been fucking exhausting. I agree. Right. But I want to try to take kind of another angle, right? The investment side, you know, not kind of the what and why, but the who and why. Like, who's responsible for this? fiasco is kind of what I want to get to, right? And I think it's impo- it really important for, for three fundamental reasons. One, it was probably the worst launch in the history of video games from a perspective of uh, expectations. I think the only one that kind of gets even close to this is that E.T. game back in the day on Nintendo thing. But this was far worse from a, <laughs> from a, a financial type perspective, right? Um, this is probably the best fundamental short call in my career. Like fundamentally, as sad as and sadistic as it may sound, getting short calls right in this industry is 10 times more satisfying than longs, right? Maybe 100 times in this current market because stocks go up daily, right? You could be a monkey throwing a dart at video game stocks and you would have picked a winner, right? But picking losers is fucking impossible. It's, it's so hard to do. Right. So this was a huge victory for me and some of my uh, clients just in general. Right. But this is not about self-promotion. I just want to throw that out there. Right. And but the third thing and the most important thing, this showcases some serious issues in our industry. And if you peel back the layers of this bullshit, you can see it almost feels like a conspiracy against the consumer. But it's not because I'm not that type of guy. But it's kind of the way the normal operations of our business and the hype train and the investors and all these different people that are involved that make these things possible, right? You know, and and some of the other ones are like, you know, the Mass Effect fiasco, you know, like, I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of issues with this industry that are kind of un, uncovered by looking at this thing. So quick caveats here. One. I don't know any of these people. I don't know anybody at CD Projekt. I've never met them. I, I've actually never, I've only talked to one person, person that worked at CD Projekt, at, at, you know, who, a long time ago. Um, all I have is secondhand information. All of it's from reading the press. So I'm almost as, as, as ignorant as you guys out there, right? Um, by all indications, before this fiasco over the last year or so, CD Projekt was an amazing place to work. Like I heard the culture was amazing. People were really happy there. It's in Poland. Everyone loves that place, right? So the, the, the fall seems to be pretty dramatic relative to where they were a few years ago. Um, and, and finally, I did not call that the game would be pulled from the PlayStation Store. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? That never happens. Oh, wait a minute. It actually happened. They pulled the game. No one can predict that. Like, that has never happened in the history of video games, okay, that I remember, right? So so anyway, so what went wrong, right? To put it fucking mildly, right, expectations, or put it simply, I mean, expectations just got way ahead of themselves, right? Across the industry, investors, enthusiast press, all these people, some people were expecting 40 to 50 million units of this game to be sold within six months, right? Similar to the performance of like Witcher over the entire history of the game, right? It's fucking ridiculous. Some people were saying like 80 to 100. They were comparing this thing to GTA, you know? And it's like, 
people are out of their gosh darn minds that they thought this thing could perform that well, right? And what was my thesis, you know, a year or so ago was that one, this game is more niche, right? The theme and the genre does not appeal to the broadest audience, right? In in the kind of the theme and genre thing, it's like it goes modern, like GTA, fantasy, like Witcher, sci-fi, like Halo or something like that. Cyberpunk is probably right under that. Steampunk is one below that. And then Avatar is probably the worst, right? But I'm just kidding about Avatar. But Avatar is a terrible license for, for any game, just, just for saying. Um, the second thing was that CD Projekt has absolutely no experience building a shooter or driving games. Both aspects were going to be far worse than GTA or games like GTA because, dude, they do swords and sorcery, dude, with fucking, you know, with horses and sh and swords and shields, right? They don't know how to do a driving and shooting game. It's obscene, right? That, 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 that's just not their expertise. Their engine was not built for that, right? For, and finally, uh, the third thing was that CD Projekt has no experience building online games. So all the features that they're suggesting they were going to do over the long term of this thing were total vaporware, right? It took forever to get GTA into a spate. And that game is not even that great either. And so these guys have absolutely no experience with online gameplay, nor, nor the engines that required and the tools that are required for it. And fourth, and this is kind of lending itself to the quality issue, is that CD Projekt is a PC developer first, and their console games suck. Like, they're not as good as their PC games, right? At the end of the cycle, they're pushing the envelope, their engine, whatever, Project Red, whatever the fuck it's called, not good for console, right? So the only way you can build a game that big has to be when, when you have console on board. And if that game is not as good, it's not going to work. Now, I didn't call that they would pull it from the store, as I said, but still, I thought the game quality would be less. And so basically my expectations was this was going to be right between Assassin's Creed and Red Dead, between 12 and 15 million in the calendar units, driven primarily strength on PC, which is actually exactly what happened, frankly. And there's going to be no catalog going forward because the game is it's over, right? No one gives a shit about this game after a year, after, sorry, after a month or two, because the game is a single player game that's done in 20 hours, right? And so, and, and I'm not going to go further into that, but they actually disappointed even my expectations to some degree because the game is not that good, right? It's only 20 hours, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so who is at fault here, right? Sorry, this is a long one, but um, management. Clearly the buck stops here, right? Everyone is blaming management. All the press coverage is basically saying management fucked this up. They didn't give, you know, the right, you know, back. they didn't give the right feedback. They, they released this way too early. And I, I agree that, I mean, management is primarily to blame, right? But there are so many other people that were involved in this kind of, quote unquote, lack, lack of a better word, conspiracy. The European investment analysts were the worst, right? My peers in Europe were out of their fucking minds, right? Fundamentally. They were talking 50 to 60 million units. They were like, take, this is going to take over GTA. Like, it, it, and then that fueled more management speculation. And management was basically confirming these ideas. And they just kept on self-perpetuating it. And the investors got su sucked into it too. And so everyone believed that this thing could do 50 to 60 million units. So the European investment analysts need to check themselves, right? And understand video games before they come out with these crazy forecasts. The board of directors and investors, right? In the speculation world, like board directors just sucked it up and just kept on like perpetuating it as well, right? They reinforced the circle jerk as well as how well this game could do. And you know, all the rewards were in store for all people that continue to invest in the company type thing. They should have been asking the tough questions of management on whether this thing was ready for prime time and what the op real opportunity for this type of game is. Um, Sony and Microsoft. 
How in the fuck could they have messed this up, right? Dude, they literally have a certification process for this particular reason, right? They don't put games out that don't work, right? And so all this day one patch shit that's going on these days and this and and they knew this game was not like some unknown. This is the biggest game of the year and had like constant delays and all that was related to problems associated with the console version. So how could they allow this game to come to market when it was completely broken? Right. They are people should be fired at Sony and Microsoft. Execs should have known that this was a problem. Right. This was not like an unknown issue. You know, this is not, you know, it's some small game. And so they fell asleep at the wheel here. Right. And their whole process that is built for this and it, and it, and it failed. Right. And so finally the one group that has, no one is calling out is the freaking media. Right. And I don't mean to be Mr. Trumpian here, but the enthusiast press have been pumping this shit up for years, right? They have been talking about how amazing game this game is without any type of details, without ever seeing the console version, without really the lackluster debut from the alpha that they played, they still were reinforcing this kind of circle jerk about this game. They never, ever played the console version. How could you possibly, in, in, in your right conscious, push this game when they know that 90 to 95% of their audiences are console players, right? And they had never seen the console game. And then they expressed outrage and, uh, you know, that and shocked that the game is a buggy mess on current gen consoles because they never asked the question, right? That's what their job, part of their job, right? And so finally, I, 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 I'm almost done here, I think, but the worst is the PC reviews, right? The PC reviews were absurd, right? They, the fact that they never saw a console version, they should never have reviewed the PC version. The appropriate response would have been to hold back the PC review, wait for the console versions to happen, and then release a review. And there were some outlets that actually did that, including Giant Bomb, Polygon, I think, did as well. So they were like trying, no, knew that something was amiss, right? Because everyone should have known there's something amiss. And the worst of them all was IGN, by the way. IGN had the worst coverage on this particular game. I know they gave it a 40 Metacritic on console, but their initial coverage was so biased again for this game even without asking the tough questions it was a joke it was a joke and their outlets gave it to a 90 to 100 on on console uh, sorry on pc um it, it just was obscene and they continue to this day covering this game like nothing is wrong like everything's okay right and so they have like weekly coverage of things about this game and whatever ign's got to pull themselves out of their own asses and start covering the way they should have been covering acting at more as journalists and not some pr shill for fucking cd project and on top of all this if any of these bugs were existed within a game from any other publisher ea activision ubisoft take two they would have gotten devastated it was not a 90 to 100 metacritic game on pc it was buggy as fuck and the game was not that good as at best as expectations it did not deserve this type of review scores at all right and they had like 22 reviews over 95 all of them were not doing their job in terms of being more careful with this but anyway all right finally back to management Fundamentally, this is a management fuck up, right? They should not have released this game. They should have waited six months. I still don't think it's possible for them to fix the co current console version. But when you think about it, you have all these outlets, all these investors, all your board, all these people saying that you have the next big game, the next big game. And it just created this complete perpetual motion of bullshit that ended up to where we are right now. And Lots of people were at fault for making this kind of the worst launch game in the history of video games, which is saying something. Um, but, you know, 
I've been in this business for 20 years. I have never seen such a big fuck up in my entire career. Um, I personally hope that CD Projekt recovers from this. I think they make amazing games. I can't wait for the next Witcher. Certainly, I can't wait for the next Witcher series. And they are an amazing development team that have great talent. But um, but this is just unbelievable. The stock is down almost 50% from where it was when every other video game stock is up up 30 to 60. So this, despite it being a great call on my part, thank you very much, um, I do feel for the company and, and its employees. But I, I also think employees are somewhat to blame. They should have been communicating this up the chain if, if they hadn't been, or maybe they wouldn't listen or whatever. But anyway, if anybody ha wants to talk about this, I'd be love to hear their thoughts. But for me, this is just a failure of the industry as much as it is a failure of CD Projekt. But um, anyway, anybody thought, have any thoughts here? I know Adam can't really talk about it. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I haven't played it, but that's... I don't know anybody and nobody can follow that up. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's it. That's it for me on CD Project. Hopefully we won't have to talk about this again <laughs> because I think everyone's a little bit sick of it, frankly. But I've been holding this back since like the end of December. Or so I forget who gave him game of the year before they launched it. Dude, yeah. I mean, I forgot about that part. All the oh Jesus, that yeah, all the awards programs. Now you're getting me on going again. Yeah. All the awards programs giving a game of the year with sight unseen. You guys are crazy. You're absolutely crazy. Anyway, right, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to follow up. I don't know how to follow up on that. <laughs> we're, we're, I guess we should move on to the next article. But uh, yeah, um, I, I can't speak anything. I mean, that is that is Eric's opinion. It's not my opinion. Uh, hopefully, I'm not fired by next week. Okay, so article number three: Diablo Immortals, more than a meme. This came from Forbes, um, and specifically Paul Tassi. And if you know Paul, um, he is an avid reviewer and player of all of the kind of looter shooter games, so um, as well as you know action RPGs. So Diablo, Destiny, Avengers, Division. Um, he's pretty actively reviewing a lot of those games, um, and I think this really kind of speaks to the who this is actually for. Um, you can see a lot of the positive reviews coming out. Who's playing it? Who's talking about it? It really is Diablo three for mobile. Um, and I think, like my initial idea of the game when I first saw that they were partnering with NetEase and they were trying to figure out how to build up this game, um, I, I felt like this had a path as a Diablo for China. But this is not. This is definitely a Diablo three port for mobile. In terms of you watch the videos, um, I unfortunately have not been able to play. I'm looking forward to it. But you watch the videos and you look what people are playing. It really is Diablo 3, Diablo 3's graphics, environments, characters, etc. And while it is a brand new story, completely new map, probably has a ton of new bosses, etc. Um, completely, it's, it's new. But at the same time, you really look at this and it looks like Diablo 3. Um, and it looks like it plays well enough. You know, it's got virtual joysticks and virtual joypads everywhere. But I think that's that's just the norm for a lot of these PC games getting ported to mobile. Um, and I just don't think there's a lot of complaints about that core loop. But it looks like pretty much the adjustments for how they made Diablo 3 work on mobile is just to adjust the design to be slightly deeper. Because if you look at Diablo 3 and how it works, right, all they've done is added loadout slots, additional gem slots, um, adding new crafting currencies, but ultimately it still is Diablo's systems of a loot-based game, right? Uh, instead of, say, a lot of the systems that we're used to with mobile CCRPGs. And I think Diablo 3 works when it relies heavily on seasonal resets. When you pretty much lose all of your previous season's gear 
and you start right from the bottom and you try to work your way up to a top tier build. It's not a say, sustained progression like a lot of the mobile free-to-play games, which have fundamentally shifted away from, say, Blizzard-type models towards more Eastern gotcha-based models just based on the fact that that's what you need in order to sustain and to be able to deliver live content at a regular cadence. Um, that's really the challenge here is how could they figure out how to make Diablo 3's progression design work in a sustained way on mobile? So looking at monetization, because I think that was kind of the biggest flag that I had around their model was what, how would they figure this out? Um, obviously because of pay to win um, uh, with their audience. What they've done, I think the first clever thing that I'll call it is upgrade tickets for riffs. Um, so instead of doing say straight up loot boxes, what you do is you buy tickets, which upgrade the impact of when you go on a mission, what type of reward you get. And it's basically these things called rifts. And so if I upgrade a rift, it guarantees, um, uh, looks like a, a drop from the, the Rift run. So Warframe has this system. It's a clever way to include loot box-like systems without it really being a loot box. But at the end of the day, it's still a light monetization system, much lighter than a regular loot box. Um, on top of that, they're doing things like guaranteed gear rerolls and a battle pass, which includes legendary items and crafting currencies within it. So it's not just straight up cosmetics. On top of that, they do have an in-game market. Uh, which allows you to purchase crafting currencies directly, but you are purchasing it from other players. Um, so overall, this is clever, but overall it's a light monetization system for mobile that tries to avoid as much backlash as possible. And I think this is all very dependent on players continually chasing new pieces of gear and respecting that gear in order to keep up with the latest meta and content. So it's really how fast can they deliver content and how fast can they shift the meta how deep is their damage model so that they can actually deliver those that content at a regular cadence. Uh, I don't know what that is. That's what I'm really gonna be looking forward to playing and seeing if they figure this out because like immediately you look at that, loot, that battle pass. Okay, so how often is that battle pass coming out? And if they're giving away exotic legendary weapons in that battle pass every single season, right? Is that just inflating your entire gear economy, right? Is that making it so that there's a pretty linear path to the best gear and then how much of that is, say, build defining, causing you to respec every single time. So just looking at that progression economy, there's enough flags there that I want to take a look at when I play. And I think looking at the action RPG market as a whole, um, Miska, you mentioned this on the previous podcast, right? Um, action RPG just has not been very effective in the market. And the main reason is because CCRPG can be a lot more cost effective at delivering content at a regular ba basis, new characters, as well as focusing much more on deeper progression instead of amazing graphics. Um, and really there's been two approaches that have worked for a Diablo-like model. One is the Archero hybrid casual approach, and one is the AFK, uh, AFK arena and the CCRPG approach going deeper progression. And I would say Diablo is resting really square in the middle here. And it's gonna be a real challenge for them to, to find, their, find their way on mobile. Um, Miska, you got some notes here? So yeah, so I was looking at Paul's review, and it and it definitely feels that that the game is too small for iPhone 11. That's what he was saying. Uh, he was saying that the controls are better than in action RPG games like like Genshin Impact. Um, the points that are important that he brought up is that it's not fitting for hardcore Diablo fans because it's stripped down version of Diablo and Diablo 3 particularly. Uh, everything is based on cooldowns, like in normal mobile uh, RPG games, instead of mana as a resource. The, uh, there's no runes attached to the skills, so you simply level them up, and there's no 
modding, which the Diablo fans really like. There's an ultimate added to the game, and 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 that's uh, that's not something that the uh, the original Diablo has. And most importantly, the weapon selection, at least in alpha, seems quite limited. Uh, what the fans would like will likely like is that they the out Blizzard has invested a lot into the story as they always do, and a lot in the voice acting, which is kind of um, I mean questionable because it just takes so much. Like I don't know how many people really play with with sounds, but. Nevertheless, probably Blizzard, Blizzard fans like this. Uh, it has a lot of familiar foes, so I'm, I'm wondering if it has the original Butcher. Uh, that was my my favorite. And uh, it's not hard, uh, but neither was Diablo 3. I don't think I died even once when playing through Diablo 3, so that's probably what the fans like. But as Adam pointed out, it feels like Diablo is going extra timid on monetization with really the goal or the fear of avoiding pay to win, which is actually quite... You know, prevalent in in uh, prevalent in in all the RPGs on mobile. So we covered this in the last episode. Uh, in many ways, we covered Riot, and and there's really a risk when you're avoiding monetization, you're avoiding these progression systems, that that you actually won't be able to monetize. You won't be able to scale, and maybe your your IP is just not enough to drive that amount of installs, like like we've seen in the case of Riot. And what worries me that, especially in the case of Diablo, the expectations are likely very, very high because it's it's a while when this game was announced, and I think they're expecting more from this game that it will likely deliver with the sort of a timid monetization and just let's figure out how we make money out of this game later. And most of the installs are there are going to be a lot of installs. They're going to be really cheap because this is Diablo. So. Personally, I always wondered how come Diablo doesn't take a page out of Path of Exiles that took a you know a major page out of out of uh, out of Diablo and figured out how to make a free to play version of Diablo. So, Adam, what's your point on on the uh, Path of Exiles? I know you played that. Yeah, well, just keep in mind Path of Exile. I, I think um, hopefully they've actually taken a lot of the design notes from Path of Exile for how they extended the engagement of Diablo, right? Um, like they they do best in the industry in terms of engagement design and live content design, but not for monetization. So in terms of taking pages out of Path of Exile, it is a free-to-play game, but they drive so much retention and engagement out of their content, but only really monetize off of cosmetics um, and things like loadout slots and stuff there's it's nothing at the same degree like wars warframe does actually a better job in terms of monetization than path of exile so i mean, correct me if i'm wrong here i i, I really am not seeing what the long-term chase is like at, at the end game for diablo like the current diablo i mean the end game is just a gear you know progression system right and and, and you actually progress levels and stuff but what exactly is diablo doing in terms of progression there's no pvp right at all right is there any social like guilds and grouping that that's available for diablo yeah yeah they, yeah they they do have co-op co-op uh, raid runs and so mm-hmm. there's like an mmo feature i'm not sure how it works I, I apparently just see other people on a run and then probably they will add some kind of friend systems and guild systems for that look i i hate to be dismissive here but i, I this feels exactly like every other attempt at this sort of thing and what's going to happen is they're going to have a huge download they're going to have some interesting revenue at a very low rpi revenue per install um and then a shark fin performance in the west and then it's going to go away within a few months like i mean am i crazy here like there's no there's no embedded systems for regression right like there's no pvp rankings there's no pve rankings there's no like you know unless they release continually release content 
that you need in order to upgrade your shit in order to get there. Like, what the fuck are the? Why are people going to spend? Right? I think I think and they're going to keep it for a longer time. What? I, I I think I think that the strategy here is they're going to keep it for a longer time because how maybe launch it in China and that that's always like the uh, the final goal and they're going to continue development and yeah forget I, Asia I for a moment I'm I'm not I'm not going to actually comment on Asia what yeah. I'm saying is for the West I just game is just not not compatible with actually making money long term right it doesn't it doesn't yeah. seem to be once they get through the content the people that are going to suffer through it right. Uh, because it's just shitty experience on mobile relative to PC, um, you know they're going to be done with this game. They're going to move on, right? So I, I don't see any much potential here, frankly, in the West. Now in the East, the systems don't seem deep enough. That's my first impression <laughs> compared to other Eastern games that have killed it, right? In Korea, etc. But um, yeah, I mean you have MMOs out there with like fucking depth of systems of upgrades and like I mean just crazy shit they do out there. You know, it's a different world, and uh, this does not have that. They seem to have stripped that shit down to the bone, right? In order to appeal to the West, so they've actually probably done a disservice to the East as well as made a game that's not likely going to do well in the West. So I mean, unless they have a different skew that they're going to release in Asia, that might be possible. But this seems to be a disaster on wheels right now. You know. But you know, I'm also very generally very cynical. So, yeah, <laughs> I look forward to playing and understanding how they overcame yeah. these challenges. <laughs> yes. yeah. my, my, my friends that have played it have been just profoundly disappointed. Profoundly, <laughs> just saying, I haven't played it, but I've seen the videos, and I'm like, oh shit, are you kidding me? This is what they did, you know? And as much as I love, we said this last week. With, as much as I love Blizzard, dude, I don't think they know how to make a bubble game that makes money. But we'll see. Mm. All right. Well, let's talk about mobile games that make money. So, puzzle games become the top-grossing genre on mobile. So, an article launched on this interesting blog called Deconstructor of Fun. Uh, this was written actually by Laura Taranto, who's a former lead producer on Farm Hero Saga, Matthew Baker, who's a system designer at Trailmix. And Nick Turling, who's a designer at a Wudu's Berlin studio. So puzzle it has become the biggest genre on mobile in terms of in-app purchase revenues in the West. So it accounts for about 5.1 billion, and that's an increase of 29% from, from the last year. It's just a little bit more than strategy games, but then again, there's about 3 billion of ad in-app ad revenue in, in the puzzle. So it's actually even bigger than, than, than here. Um, we break down puzzle into multiple different subgenres. You can go and, and read the whole post, but I'm just going to raise a couple of things. So match three games, and, and that is over way over half of all the revenues in, in the puzzle genres. And we can kind of see a very clear shift in the player preferences. So one of the subgenres, which, which is called Other Match, it grew quite significantly by 42%, but in the end, it's a very, very small subgenre with, with less than 60 million in revenues and mainly actually dominated by Rovio's Dream Blast. Uh, but really what is interesting in, in, the, in, the, um, in the puzzle subgenre is the puzzle and decorate games or games that have a visual progression and a puzzle core. So as we talked before, this, the Playrix has been absolutely crushing. It gardenscapes near a billion in revenue, Fishdom doubling its run rate, making 300 a year, Homescapes growing 20%. Only one that they did not make that they did they couldn't make work is Wildscapes, and um, it seems that that game is is kind of going out uh, silently, 
disappearing. But of course, uh, zoos are not probably the uh, the most interesting things for for the uh, target audience. Nevertheless, the new wins are sort of a uh, what App Lovins is pushing. So we see Project Makeover just in an exponential growth during the uh, the last few months. So it's currently making. 20 million a month, but it's looking to be on a runway to wait to make even more. And this is from the same developer that made Matching Dimension before. Lily's Garden from Tactile done extremely well during uh, during this year. And also Storm 8's Property Brothers is another huge winner during during this uh, during 2020. At the same time, we've seen King, the, uh, the classic match, which has all these saga-based game kind of staying stable as well as peaks tile blast staying stable so we can kind of say that there's there's not really much growth in those genres uh while the uh, the rest of the uh well rest of the market is moving along and and finally what was interesting in this prediction post is the uh, the authors raised the merge genre so currently we have merge in the puzzle genre we can move it do simulation anyways but we we covered all the merge games as a one and previously we saw Zynga's Merge Dragon appear a couple of years ago. Then a year later, they made a very successful reskin in Merge Magic. It cannibalized Merge Dragons to an extent, but overall, it seems to be making more as a, as a as two of them. And since then, we've seen Big Fish's Ever Merge really, really coming up down the line. And these three games, Merge Dragons, Merge Magic, and Big Fish's Ever Merge, make pretty much most of the revenues on uh, inside the Merge job. But What's really interesting is that there's a lot of startups that are just pushing more and more and more merge games. And what I've seen, uh, some data that I've seen, some various of these startups is that they have extremely good retention numbers. So day sevens are, are hoovering around 30%. And that's that's really, you know, clearly the uh, the market is is excited about these games and the marketability seems to be pretty high. So when I look at the uh, the predictions overall, there's about four of them that, that should be raised up. So... Number one is, of course, what IDFA will do. And, and, and that will throw a big old monkey wrench at the top of the mobile puzzle publisher. So overall, the, pred the prediction is that games with large, stable DAUs will be the winners as they know where to draw the traffic from and they can focus on CRM to boost already high retention rates. The new titles and the titles grown by misleading advertising, so you can read that as PlayerX and AppLovin, are the ones that are likely to be taking a hit. Now, it's a question of how big of a hit AppLovin, for example, makes because they, they are quite vertically integrated and they have access to a lot of data from, from, from a very broad portfolio and, and mediation platform. Um, then what's coming up in terms of trend is this sort of an aspirational lifestyle. Uh, and that seems to be plundered mercilessly in 2021. So we have games like Project Makeover, as, as mentioned before, as a great example. And there will probably be a lot more of these type of games where, you know, you're playing as an influencer or something like that, where, where you move the, uh, the, the proven puzzle and decorate formula and add elements of personal styling, fashion, and, and this opt-in narrative drama to the game. Uh, the other predictions are around merge games. So we, the, the authors and, and I full-heartedly agree that they will represent the majority of new entrants into the puzzle market, but also majority of M&A targets. So we've seen smaller companies having success scaling the, their games, like let's say Future Play or Adam's previous startup, Starberry Games. They also released a merge game. I think it's called Merge Mansion. Uh, all these titles are, no, not Merge Mansion, Merge Mayor. Right? 
okay, yes, Merge Mayor. <laughs> all these all these games sound the same, but but they sound the same, and they all have great same same type of great KPIs. So I think that that will lead to a lot of uh, a lot of M and A action because they, the companies are quite small and they need a lot of a lot of energy to a lot of funds to boost up their their player acquisition, just like the uh, Metacore a company acquired by Supercell and now got a boost of about twenty million in more chess to to you know to pump up users into their game. Another thing that that this rise of of merge genre will lead to is differentiation. So pretty much all of the titles, like I've mentioned, are either about magic or or mansions or some kind of a garden so everything seems to be the same but i think there will be more merging in the sort of a more um male focused merging if you will planes will be merged i think that there will be a there will be a battle game that you will be merging we've seen those functioning really well with top battles that is that is scaling in a forex category using the merger core so i think there will be this type of differentiation in terms of in terms of themes as as the uh, as the market gets more rowdy, and final final notion from from the uh, the predictions was the adaptation of Puzzle Pass. Of course, Supercell's Heyday Pop didn't make it to to global launch like we covered in the last episode, but they did, you know, innovate on some some features, and Puzzle Pass was among them. And I think somebody will will be able to to crack that code, and and we'll be seeing a lot of Puzzle Passes in the uh, in the title. So overall, uh, a, a lot of insights. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be publishing everything on on hyper casual RPG strategies, shooters, you name it. All the categories we'll follow during the uh, the following weeks. Adam, yeah, I'd be curious to know your take on, like you said, stable DAOs, IDFA impact. Um, so specifically for Playrix, who of course had an amazing 2020 and have taken market share now away from King, right? But do you see now that they're going to? get kind of pulled back because of IDFA. And I'm looking specifically at Fishdom, Homescapes, and Gardenscapes and their ability to sustain at their current DAO level. Um, like you take away the fake advertising, you remove their ability to drive in new players. Is that now going to drop their DAO level? Uh, for sure. I, I think I think especially Playrix will be the one that will have to reinvent their, their user acquisition. I mean, they grew significantly the moment they went to shockvertising and then after that, they went to this misleading ads with, with all the games where you pull the lever and the character falls. And they use that across their portfolio, not only in puzzle games. We see that in, in their um, RPG game. Uh, was it called? Not, not Heroes Charge, but, but some kind of a Heroes, Hero Wars. Hero Wars was the one. They use it there. They use it in the uh, puzzle RPG game. Um, I forgot again the name of that game as well, but but they kind of find these ads, and you can see in their advertising strategy they find the most the best performing misleading ads and really start pushing with it. So, how are they able to to get to those ads that work and actually see that the ads are bringing in the users that actually increase their LTV without IDFA? I think that's going to be very very difficult. So they will have to figure out how to grow without. Uh, yeah, with, with using different strategies they currently have. Yeah, um, and I also would kind of um, agree with your point on merge games and just how interesting that space has been, right? Um, I, I would almost put the rise of merge games into the invest in express bucket because you think like Farmville, Heyday, all these games, it actually feels much closer to that and the type of you know experience those players want instead of, say, Match 3, uh, which I think works well with the decorate metagame. But... You know, maybe Zynga should have made Farmville 3 a merge game instead. 
right? Um, I also wonder if there's like with the rise of merge, right? Because if I look at the data that you guys provided here, this kind of showcases what the current status of the market is, who are the biggest players and typically who is out executing on live. That pretty much tells you which categories are growing. But it doesn't say, you know, as a new team, how can I build up a new idea? So instead of looking at this and saying, oh shit, I need to make a merge game, because to be honest, like everybody's already, you know, <laughs> quite quite ahead of you on that one. Why not take a look at the hyper casual space and see which types of mechanics had very similar signals? Because like merge did really, really well at driving baseline retention and then building a proper metagame around it, obviously, you know, broke it out and created its whole new genre. Hyper casual, even though Eric hates it, is probably pretty good at identifying retaining core mechanics that you could build a meta around. So yeah, I'm interested to figure out if there's going to be new genres pulling ideas from hypercasual. You know, Adam, I was just thinking, I haven't given you mad props in a long time. That was a very insightful comment that you just made. I don't know if it's because you haven't been that smart over the last six months, or I just have been this. How brilliant you are. That's a really, 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 really good good uh idea is take a look at these hyper casual shit games and see what works uh, <laughs> and try to bring it to a real game you know um i would also agree that merged games seem more like invest express they don't seem like puzzle games at all like i mean they're far more like farmville and heyday than they are homescapes and candy crush but that's just me and then the other thing i want to just throw out throw out there is that the reason that puzzle uh, well, the fact that Puzzle continues to grow is just is insane, right? Like it's it's growing from a very high base. But the one thing is that the big loser in all of this is strategy. Strategy has gone from like the biggest market by a long shot, thirty percent, down to like twenty percent over the last three or four years, uh, while Casino has been pretty constant um, and simulation and RPG has been growing as well. But, but, uh, but, you know, Puzzle is just a freaking juggernaut, right? People cannot get enough Puzzle games, and there are a lot out there right now. Um, yeah, and I, I really don't know I, how IDFA is going to impact anybody. I mean, I, I think being a new entrance in this category with IDFA issues is going to be a real challenge, right? Like getting the right users base to get anywhere close to these freaking numbers in the US, uh, you know, the, uh, the RPI numbers is going to be near to impossible, right? Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how sophisticated the systems are at these established players that can maneuver around this IDFA issue and whatever Google does next. Um, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I'm setting up all these analyses to see exactly on a day-to-day -day basis how things change when this shit happens in March. But, uh, but it's going to be profound change for Puzzle. I mean, Puzzle is a huge category that people spend a shit ton of money acquiring users. So um, we'll see how clever they are. Um, mm -hmm. after this change, you know, and which companies are the most clever, right? Both on social casino and puzzle, which I think will be pretty huge impacted. So anyway, uh, interesting times this year. I think that this is going to be a big story this year to see how this yeah. all trans transforms yeah, the market. Marketing pays such a huge role in the puzzle games because I've seen, I've seen puzzle game numbers from a pretty, you know, well-known publishers and they might have very very good numbers like if you if i would just give you the retention numbers you'd be like wow this is games a hit like let's push on let's go forward and they can't make it work because of such a high cpis and it's just it's it's insane market and the paybacks are are ludicrous so for a small company to to push forward despite having 
excellent KPIs. When that becomes impossible, you're talking about a very, very difficult number. Like Mr. when a game retains. Be, be careful what? in those reports, right? Be, because like be, sometimes people will cherry pick KPIs and be like, oh, it was the CPIs. It wasn't the marketing. It wasn't the game. It was because oh. of the marketing. I totally agree with JK. a bullshit report. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> JK, I, I, I know. I've, I've been in the game. I know how to, how to pick up the golden cohorts, how to do, you know, all of that. Nevertheless, I've seen, again, with my own eyes, the, I, yes, that happens a lot, what you, JK, are saying. But it also happens in, in puzzle genre where you do have very good numbers comparatively. Like we're talking about 55 day ones and, you know, day seven at 30% and day 30 at, at 12 and so forth. So, you know, numbers that are arguably very good. And still the game is unable to scale because of the CPIs. So, yes, there's there's some of it of of... of targeting but again it just speaks of how competitive the market is that even with great kpis it is very very difficult and we're talking of course us uh, primary audience kpis but in the case of like tactile right like i think tactile is one of the, the best recent stories mm -hmm. of a you know yeah. david and goliath type of situation then mm -hmm. breaking into the puzzle space after idfa is the likelihood of a new tactile going down <laughs> Um, well, Tactile has a very interesting – oh, that's a beautiful segue, Adam, actually, because we just recorded a podcast with a CMO of Tactile. Uh, I talking did not about mean the to cross the segue. <laughs> did not intend that. No, so, no, no, no. so let me not answer this in any way, and I'll just rather post that podcast, and you can listen to the CMO and how they approached – uh, the marketing and overall building the game at Tactile. So I, I mean more that. from the perspective of competition, right? Like <laughs> after IDFA, is the likelihood of a smaller developer breaking into puzzle or strategy going down? Because now there's just so much more network effect uh, benefit to those larger publishers. I, I think I, it's hard to say. On, on the other hand, you could say, yes, it is going to be more difficult. On the other hand, you could say, no, it actually is going to be a little bit easier because the play field will be leveled. So the companies with extremely optimized user acquisition tools and that are tied into the way they optimize the levels based on where the players are coming from, like those will be gone. So the play field is more leveled and hence they are able to move. But then again, if you have an existing portfolio, you're just drawing from the same games, like you, you know, your award games or whatnot, the channels that you trust, you can still push from, from those. And the CPIs for the, uh, for the trusted channels are going uh, through the roof. So... Yes, all right, no. I would love to talk about UA all day long, but <laughs> my goal is 15% body fat by 50, which I have six months to accomplish and I have to go work out. So it's time is, to go. Is that Peloton behind you? No, I cheaped out. I got something else, but I am, I, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm bike riding and I'm doing fucking weights. But, uh, but by yeah. something else, Eric means TRT. That's why he's he's a little bit, uh, a little bit angry. He just got a shot this morning. <laughs> Yeah, well, any any fifty year old that's trying to get to fifteen percent body fat is fucking ridiculous. So I'm going to do it though. God damn it! Um, all right, all right, everybody, on. get ripped. Peace out. Peace Bye. out. Bye. Bye. <laughs>